As elementary music teachers, one of the most beautiful things in our jobs is giving kids the chance to be creative, to find their most musical selves. But one of the trickiest things about our jobs is trying to figure out how to get our students to be creative, where to start, what we actually do to start opening up that big can of worms that is creativity in the music classroom. Well, today on the Anacrusic Podcast, episode number 136, we are talking all about how to get started with creativity in your music classroom. Anne Molesky, and I've helped music teachers just like you get more intentional in their classrooms through my trainings, curriculum, and tips shared on this podcast. The truth is, teaching music is hard. You have a bunch of kids to teach and not a lot of free time to figure out how. Feeling overwhelmed and frustrated is totally normal. But here's the good news. It only takes a few simple steps to flip the script. And although it may be simple, it's definitely not easy unless you have the right toolkit. So let's start tuning and transforming your music teacher life right now. The actionable steps you need to find the purpose, follow a sequence, and choose joy are right here. This is the Anacrusic Podcast. Okay, so let's just go ahead and get started with the big elephant in the room. I am back. I am so happy to be back with you. Um, I took a very long break. It's been over a year since I've made a podcast episode, which just feels bananas because I have been making podcast episodes since my oldest daughter was born and she is now five, which is bananas. Um, But I'm back and I'm so happy to be sharing with you. I'd love to say that my time away was like this great planned sabbatical where I was going to do all this wonderful (laughs) work on myself and, you know, all things anacrusic. But really, it wasn't that. It was a completely unplanned break that just had to do with kind of some not so fun stuff and then some really fun stuff like welcoming a baby boy to our family in May. And although I didn't plan for the time away, it ended up being something that was really needed um, just to focus in on family and to identify some things that I want to focus on for you guys and for Anna Krusik. Um, And also to try on a couple of new fun hats that are only going to make these podcast episodes more informative and um, more applicable, I think, to what you guys are doing in the classroom. So one of those things is doing some curriculum writing and curriculum developing for um, adult musicians, adults who are learning to um, be more musical and to develop their own musicianship um, and working with some great people doing that type of work. Another great thing that I'm getting to do this year is teach elementary methods and supervising student teachers, which is bringing me so much joy and really teaching me a lot about myself and my teaching and things that I want to think more critically about and things that I want to share, which is actually how this podcast episode came to be. Creativity is one of those things that is huge. And I have many colleagues who have done a ton of research on creativity and, you know, it's going to go beyond the scope of what I hope will be about a 15 to 20 minute podcast here, Max, today. Um, And hopefully, you know, down the road we'll have a part two and I can reference some of my colleagues' great work on what creativity can look like and all the different possibilities. And I think it's important to think about that word, about possibilities, because it's really open. Because when we think about creativity in the classroom, we're really thinking about one thing, and that one thing is student choice. 
and how we can create opportunities for student choice, create opportunities for students to use their voice and be an active part of the music making. So before we get into specifics with the elementary music classroom and thinking about how to start using creativity, I just want to think about this concept of creativity and student choice in the first place. So one of my largest memories of creativity when I was in elementary school was actually with Odyssey of the Mind. So if anybody else was a child of the 80s and remembers this, um, Odyssey of the Mind, and I believe it's called Destination Imagination now, um, if it exists, I hope it exists, I should Google that. Um, But I remember it being just this open-ended problem that we had to solve. And we had certain parameters where we had to, you know, there were like four check boxes that we had to include in whatever presentation we would have to solve this problem at at, at a meet. We would go to like a little mini conference or meet or whatever you want to call it um, to share kind of our solution to this problem. And it was super fun and super creative because it was so open-ended. And there were all of these different ways that you could accomplish solving the problem as long as you kind of met these four four criteria, right? And so if we think about the word odyssey, which I actually went and looked up the definition. So if we think of odyssey of the mind, an odyssey is any long, complicated journey, often a quest for a goal, and maybe a spiritual or psychological journey, as well as an actual voyage. So the goal here is to solve a problem that's open-ended as to how you solve it and how you get to that solution, right? So it's not only that the solution can be open-ended, but the path can be winding and twisty and all that good stuff, which you know I love. And if we think about destination imagination, I mean, that's pretty self-explanatory too and aligns with this idea of odyssey, right? Because it's completely open-ended. It can be whatever we make of it. So if we think about this in terms of student choice and opportunities for student choice, which will, you know, no matter how small we start, will eventually lead into greater opportunities for creativity, we're really talking about divergent versus convergent thinking. And divergent thinking has to do with using your imagination to create as many different possible solutions as you as you possibly can, right? So this idea of back to Odyssey of the Mind, here's the problem. How would you like to solve it? As a team, we all had to explore all of these different ideas, and then we would settle on one that would actually fit fit the bill you know, that they were asking us to complete. Um, versus convergent thinking, you know, where one plus one is two, right? And convergent thinking has to do with being really logical, being efficient, being effective. There's that one right answer. You use your deductive reasoning and it takes less time. It takes less time for us to ask our students questions that have a concrete definitive answer because we don't need to explore the wrong answers to to, to any extent, we just say, well, here's one dot, here's another dot, and that's one, two, right? Like it's a, it's a pretty obvious, again, deductive reasoning, it's logical, all, all of that, that stuff. Whereas divergent thinking, we explore all opportunities. We explore all the different ways that we can do a thing, and in our case, make music. So what does this mean? What does the odyssey of the mind and destination imagination and having divergent questions versus convergent um, questions in our classroom, what does this have to do with creativity? Well, that means that we are starting with a question instead of looking for an answer. 
And so much of our curriculum is convergent by nature because if we're leading students to specific concepts and skills that are intentionally sequenced, right, and we want them to understand this thing before we can get to the next thing and so on and so forth, it's going to have to have a certain um, element of focus and efficiency so that when it comes to music theory and music literacy and music fluency, we're building those necessary skills to get there. But along the way, there's these different kind of detours we can take if you want to go whole hog with the metaphor here, where we can allow our students opportunities to try something and to be the kind of musician that they want to be while exploring you know, our behavioral objectives, our learning targets, whatever might happen in our sequence. So there is that opportunity for divergent thinking. There is that opportunity for creative problem solving with those larger structures that we've constructed in the music room. So let's talk about what creativity in the elementary music room would really look like. Well, first of all, the definition of creativity is the ability to create, and the definition of create is to make or bring into existence something new. And in our case, to start with creativity, it's giving students a voice so that They can bring their world in, so something that feels comfortable in their bodies and in their voice can belong to a greater classroom community. It's play-inspired because we're asking for different ways to explore, to actively make music, which in and of itself is a playful venture in our classrooms. And it's also an opportunity for us to assess and for students to kind of self-assess or reflect would probably be a better word in thinking about how well our students are taking these experiences and assimilating them into something that can be observable, into something that we can decide whether or not they're ready for what's next or if they need more practice or if they need more opportunities to have choice so that they can have more ownership over skills. So let's talk about some concrete examples that are really entry level, I guess, for creativity and specifically thinking about student choice and giving kids an opportunity to have a voice in your lessons. So if we take something as simple as beat motions, you know, most often in my classroom, if we're keeping a steady beat during an activity, I ask students to use spider fingers on their knees because they can feel the beat, but if they're using spider fingers, we can't hear it and it's not distracting to other students if one kid is off and all that good stuff. But once kids have a pretty good physical feel of the beat or you're further along in kind of your unit or learning sequence for that skill, it's appropriate to start asking students to put the beat somewhere else, of course, right? So maybe if you want to start getting ideas from students, instead of just having it be completely teacher-led, you know, they've had some opportunity where you're standing in front and you say, keep the beat just like me, and or be my mirror, whatever your text is to start the activity with some pre-recorded music or a song that you're singing or improvising or whatever, then you could, you could start to show those motions and then start to pass it on to the students. So maybe it's something as simple as starting with the whole group and saying, show me on your body right now where you think we should keep the beat next. And then you can say, oh, wow, Billy, I love how you're keeping the beat on the shoulders. Let's do it just like Billy this next time. And then, oh, Susie, I love how you're keeping it by stretching your arms like this. Let's go ahead and do that this time. Or if you'd like to have individual students do so, you can say, put your finger on your nose if you have an idea for where we could keep the steady beat next. And then that way you're giving those confident students, those students who feel ready, an opportunity to share if they're ready to put their finger on their nose 
or just all of the kids who maybe aren't quite ready to share on their own a little bit of a boost because you're saying, just show me. And then they can kind of look at a neighbor and get some ideas, kind of crowdsource from their peers to think about what types of things they could try. And then after that experience of trying something that their neighbor did and all that felt kind of cool, maybe I could try something different the next time, it starts to grow and grow and grow until they start to feel confident on their own to try something. So aside from not necessarily calling on individual students when you want to crowdsource an idea um, and just saying, show me or put a finger on your nose, you can also just make sure that you're giving lots and lots of wait time. So even if you are saying, show me where you'd like to keep the beat next, it's important to stop and just kind of wait and look around and like, oh, I see lots of great ideas. Oh, I see this. I see this. And kind of showing on your body what other people are doing so that they can see it, you know, kind of validated their own ideas. But just giving that white space, giving that wait time where you don't even say anything is so, so important because we know it takes kids a little bit of extra time to think if it's if it's a new idea for them to share their ideas in the music classroom. But even aside from that, maybe it's just, it's just a day where they need a little bit of extra time processing. So having that wait time and giving that white space is really, really important. So start with the whole group give that wait time, and make sure that you've given them a vocabulary bank. You've given them this vocabulary of experiences where they've followed you giving beat motions. They know what types of different things they can try, and then they can figure out some extensions of that. But even so, if you are looking around the room and you're like, where should I keep the beat next? And nobody's moving, you can simply kind of scaffold that, give them a little boost and say, well, should we keep it on our shoulders or should we keep it on our knees? Show me what you think. And then that's starting to give that vocabulary, starting to give those ideas. And then maybe the next time you can say, oh, should we snap our fingers or should we stretch up to the sky or should we do something different? And then there's ideas given with the invitation to try something on their own. So it's always thinking about what is that lowest barrier of entry for kids, especially kids who aren't used to having the opportunity to to show like musicality in their bodies and also to share that with somebody, um, giving them that space to do that and then giving them these options, but also that free ability is really, really important. Um, and then after that, once we've had a chance to explore, once we've had a chance to try some things, allowing students to take leadership in those moments of choice is really, really awesome. So after you've done beat motions where everybody's had a chance to try something, um, you've given them lots of choices and you have lots of students being confident and wanting to, to lead or share their ideas, Maybe it's time to move those students into a leadership role where they're the ones calling the shots, where the whole class is following them for beat motions until they tap their neighbor on the shoulder and then they're the next leader and so on and so forth. So there's this constant opportunity for students to be calling the shots, for them to be feeling like they're the ones who are really owning what's going on. And it also gives you a chance to take a peek at what they're really understanding. And of course, beat motions is like just the tip of the iceberg, right? But that's a really easy way to get started with student choice. And it might not feel like the most creative thing ever, but we have to start somewhere and we have to start small, kind of for our own neuroses, if you will, but also for our kids so that they get used to this idea of having choice and having agency and doing what feels good to them in our music classrooms. 
So aside from beat motions, we also have other opportunities for student choice that feel a little bit more procedural, right? So thinking about instrumentation, like, oh, grab an unpitched percussion instrument, and we have sticks, and we have, you know, all of these other different things, bells or whatever, all of these other different things that you can grab to do whatever activity is, right? Um, Mode of music making. Today, we're going to have people who are sitting at the instruments, and we have people who are going to be doing the movement. So can you go ahead and make a choice in five, four, three, two, one, and you're done, right? Um, And if you have too many kids on the instruments, oh, I need two more volunteers, I can pick somebody, but I'd really love for you to make that choice to move over to movement if you think you could do that today. Um, all of those types of things, right? Um, and even just as simple as choosing their own partners or choosing their own groups and all of that kind of stuff, I think is really important. The more opportunities we get for kids to to make those choices about how they're going to interact in our classroom and our classroom community is really, really, really valuable. Of course, that relies on a lot of procedural stuff too that perhaps we could talk about another day. Um, but just constantly finding those little nuggets for student choice is really, really important. So let's now talk about what probably comes most naturally to us or most um, immediately to mind, rather, when we think about student choice and specifically creativity. And for me, and I've done podcast episodes about this in the past, and we're going to keep revisiting this, this topic because it's really on the forefront of my mind these days, but using improvisation in our classrooms. And I'm not talking about improvisation in a scary way that a lot of people might automatically associate it with. Um, which I used to, which I've told that story before. We don't need to go down that hole. But I'm just talking again about opportunity for student choice. And when I think about improvisation, you know, you could think about the the beat motions as improvisation. You could think about movement improvisation. But when I'm thinking about specific curricular goals, things inside of my curricular sequence, I'm thinking about different types of melody and rhythmic improvisations. And so if we take the um, the rhyme, two, four, six, eight, meet me at the garden gate. If I'm late, don't wait. Two, four, six, eight. Repeat after me. Gate, 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 gate. Garden gate, garden gate. Garden, garden, garden gate. Gate, Gate, garden, gate. Right? So we have our ta or our two eighth notes and quarter note with those two words from our rhyme. And that's as much as we need to give students the opportunity for choice. So there are echo. Now I want you to say something different than me. My turn first and then you go. Gate, gate, garden, gate. Garden, 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 gate and so on, right? And they're doing something different, right? And then perhaps we put some forms up on the board, like A-A-B-A, A-B-A-B, and then maybe A-B-A-C, and we add in a quarter rest, right? And then it's those students' opportunities to find their form, say garden's going to be A, gate's going to be B, and then we'd move from improvisation to composition, right? So they're thinking about those different ways that they can use the text, use those rhythms, use those curricular concepts that we're doing in our classroom, but also being able to do improvisation with it, right? Um, And the idea of 
improvisation is truly just spontaneous choice. And you can particularly hear that in the exercise that I just briefly shared with you, where it's echo me, now do something different. And there's probably 8 million different places we could do that in our lessons throughout the week. So I challenge you to give it a try. Because when we give that opportunity for improvisation, when we give that opportunity for student choice, we're really giving kids a chance to, you know, have agency, to build their self-efficacy, and to really build independent musicianship. Being able to use all of those parts of speech, if you will, is what establishes our fluency which informs our literacy later on. So if you have students who could improvise and clap and move or play on rhythm instruments or tabanos or whatever it might be, gate, garden, garden, gate, like their own little AABA composition, then translating that to TTs and ta's or do days and do's or whatever it is that you might use um, will be will kind of click for them more later on, right? So the spontaneous choice is improvisation using the tools or using the vocabulary, if you will, that we're going to be using later on is really, really important. And because of that, because we want to make sure it's going to relate later on and isn't just like totally free, we definitely have parameters or guidelines or bumpers, right? Because we're creating a context. We're creating a context. So here we're talking about form. We're talking about using garden and gate because they have to do with the rhythmic building blocks we're going to be using later. And we have to make sure that improvisations and the things that we're asking students to do is appropriate based on what they've done in the past right? So if my students, again, have had that experience with me saying, my turn first and echo me, garden, 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 gate. I could do it over and over and over again, right? Um, Then they've kind of played with that language. And then the more opportunity we give to explore, the more comfortable they're going to be feeling as they explore further, right? And they try different things and then they make decisions. And it's just this really, really beautiful experience. Um, Improvisation does not require formal vocabulary. And I think sometimes we get hung up on that. Like we need to wait until the end of a concept plan. We need to wait until, you know, a concept is known and they can say TT and they can say quarter notes and they can say um, paired eighth notes and quarter rest and all of that kind of stuff. But it really has much more to do with that fluency piece, right? That fluency piece where they're using different parts of, um, they're using like speech words or they're using just lululu or whatever it might be. And they're just kind of babbling through a lot of that content, a lot of that um, rhythmic and melodic elements. And because of that, we want to carefully craft what we're doing, right? Like if I'm working on something that is going to be for TT and TA with 2468, I'm not going to use like... Um, old rickety garden gate or something like that, right? Because that's beyond the scope of what I'm going to be asking my students to be doing later on, okay? So it's carefully curated by the teacher. We really wanna be focused on fluency so that we can then relate it to literacy later on and it can move from improvisation to composition in a really, really beautiful way. And so that's how student choice can really not only give students that self-efficacy and that that agency in their classrooms, but it can give them that boost. It can give them that independent musicianship that they're going to need when we start to flesh out some of these concepts in our classrooms. So although it may seem like students would need formal vocabulary in order to make something new, and that might be true if you're talking specifically about formal notation, 
right? It might feel like improvisation or composition or anything that has to do with student independent musicianship, again, could only exist at the end of a concept sequence or a learning sequence framework for a particular concept, but it's the opposite. Again, I just really want to drive home this point. It's the opposite because if we're focused on that fluency piece, we want to give kids the opportunity to babble. We want to give them the opportunity to play with different sounds and different vocabulary before they really know the ins and outs of the theory. So that means that we really need to improvise early and often. And if you do a quick search, like, and uh, the Anacrusic podcast, the Anne Improvisation, like all of those past podcast episodes will pop up and I'll be sure to link those down below as well. So this was not a very in-depth creativity podcast, right? And I say that because it's all about getting started with creativity and it's all about getting started with student choice. And this is not even the tip of the tip of the iceberg because creativity is this really, really big thing that in and of itself is pretty divergent, right? Like creativity in your classroom is going to look very different than creativity in my classroom, which is going to look very different than another music teacher's classroom. And I think that's what's really beautiful about it because we're all coming at our our music teaching from, from different life and worldviews. And so the types of questions and the types of things that we ask our students to think critically and creatively about is going to be different. But I do think it's important to find those little nuggets, those little opportunities every day. Even today, if you're on your way to school, if you're having a break or you're thinking about your plans tomorrow, think about what you could do in your very next lesson that could give give kids the opportunity to have a little bit more choice. So I have I have three things for you to think about before we say goodbye for today. So the first thing is think about a lesson that you recently taught and how much opportunity did you give your students for choice, even if it was like a color or a movement or anything that, that they were able to have some choice to do, give yourself that credit and then think to yourself, what's next? Because we're starting as small as we possibly can, right? Like which beat motion should we do? That is teeny, teeny, tiny. But give yourself that credit where credit is due because letting go of control, even a tiny bit, can be really, really hard. I know that firsthand, (laughs) okay? The second thing I want you to do is when you sit down to plan for the future, consider the questions, looking at your lesson plan, where have I provided opportunity for student choice? Is there even just a little bit more opportunity for more, even if it feels scary, right? Even if it feels like, ooh, that's going to give away just too much control because you can plan to, to open it up for students' creativity and then you can also have your suggestion or your idea to kind of rein it back in or give them some vocabulary to explore further, right? Like we talked about. And the third thing I want you to do is just start. So tomorrow, instead of keep the beat with me, ask your students to show where we could keep the study beat and then follow your students' lead. And those little nuggets will just keep on building and building and building. So finally, just to close, it can be kind of scary to release control. But the odds are the more that you start to release control in your classroom, the more you ask students for for choices, to, to share their choices, to give them choice, the more comfortable you're going to get and the more fun it's going to be for both you and your kids. See you next time.